Alright folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss practice from today as the Denver Nuggets, surprisingly but unsurprisingly, kind of could tell that this was coming based off of how Denver played on Monday night. Uh, They had a practice on Tuesday afternoon. The media was present for it, and I thought that it was an illuminating one for sure. We're going to have a couple of things to go over from that. We're going to go over the GM survey that was released earlier this morning, something that John Schumann of NBA.com does every single year, and it's fantastic content. So we're going to go over that, everything that pertains to the Nuggets in there, basically. But first, practice thoughts. Uh, Denver, the way that they played on Monday night, it's not a surprise that Michael Malone decided he wanted to call practice. I wrote about this practice, by the way, on milehighsports.com. All of the quotes that are in there, I think, are pretty valuable. I think Michael Malone had a lot to say on Tuesday, so make sure to check out that article, mhs.com. Actually, milehighsports.com, excuse me. But having practice today is just objectively funny. Like, I, I do believe that Denver, in this case, they like, they don't really need this. They had a, they have a game on Friday uh, against the Chicago Bulls. They're going to travel on Thursday. They could have had a good, hard day of practice on Wednesday, taken a day off on Tuesday, just done mostly film. And honestly, that's what they did. It wasn't crazy. But Michael Malone said, he said in the in the early part of his presser, oh man, really thought that we were going to go two hours. Like I, I was saying to myself on the sideline, thought we were going to go for two hours today. We're going to practice for two hours. And what he really just means by that is, yeah, we're going to practice hard. We're going to make sure to work out all the kinks. That's definitely a very high school or even college level uh, mentality for a coach to have. It's not the NBA mentality. It is preseason. And Michael Malone ultimately uh, kind of caved on, on that fact that, look, these guys are professionals. It was their first game of the year. Jamal and MPJ, the most like the most important thing for this team was that those guys got their their legs back under them, their chemistry back under them. So Malone spoke candidly about how bad the team was and and that he didn't really enjoy it, but also that he can't overreact because it is preseason. The season is long. I think Malone is feeling some pressure. I think Malone knows, and I totally agree with this, by the way, that building habits Feeling that sense of urgency early in the season to be great and knowing how to be great is really, really important. This Nuggets team is going to be really good. Don't get me wrong. They could get to 50 wins in their sleep. But if they want to be great, then they're going to have to take moments like today seriously. And you're not going to just be able to half-ass it at various points. You're going to have to build habits that even if your jump shot isn't going down, you can rely on the other stuff. Mike Malone knows that. And so I understand his perspective there, just that he doesn't want to have to rely on being an elite offense every single night. And then the defense is so-so, because if you never get the defense to be at an elite level, how's it ever going to be at an elite level in the playoffs when you need it to be? So I get it. I understand. Most of his conversation was about the bench unit, in my opinion. He said he was proud of Bones. 
said that the way that Bones approached practice today and how he approached getting better, understanding that he needs to improve and that his mentality needed to be better, that was really cool. That was a good thing that came out of practice for sure. Bones has so much pressure on him too. He seems ready to embrace it though, which you like to see from a second year player. He's got a lot of pressure. It's very rare to put a player like that in a position where the team has to win and he's barely been in the NBA for like five minutes. So I get it. I do get it. And he he was the easy scapegoat, I think, for the struggles on Monday night. Because as Michael Malone said, Bones wasn't the only guy who was bad. There was a lot of other players that I think you could have pointed to and say, hey, you need to be better here. This was not good enough. But with Bones, the discrepancy between where he was and where he needs to be for that bench to just be functional, I think is pretty wide. So it's not a surprise to me that Bones was kind of the fall guy. He's also a young guy. Malone can get away with it with a young guy like that. But more than anything, Bones has so much pressure on him to be great. Michael Malone is going to hold him to that standard. And Bones said that he likes that. He shared that today that he knows that coach loves him. He knows that coach cares about him. But he wants to be held to that high standard as well because Bones, as he said, he wants to be great. And the only way to be great is to be held accountable and to make sure that you do not take any of these moments for granted and that you continue pushing higher and higher and higher. So good mentality from Bones. Really excited to hear that. Joker also spoke today. He talked about his wrist. Uh said that it wasn't an issue at all, only that it felt a little weird. There was a lot of discussion about the wrist on Press Row, in post-game podcasts. I never really bought into the wrist issue as much. It just very much feels like, hey, uh, it's something that he's dealt with. It's probably more of a habit than anything that he's wearing a heating pad around the wrist. Just probably that's what happens when you turn 27, as opposed to being 22. You start to feel achy, and I'm sure that when he gets up into his 30s, probably going to have more heating pads or ice packs on wherever he goes after any game, and this was just an opportunity for him to get early treatment in. That's definitely sort of how I, I think about it. The last couple of years, he's played through that wrist injury or ailment, if, if you will, because it hasn't really held him out, and he's won two MVPs. He's been fantastic. To be able to do that, I think it takes a lot. But it also says to me that it's just not as big of an issue as ever as everybody made it out to be. Everybody was very concerned. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Joker also spoke today about team chemistry. Uh, he said that it's just something that happens. You can't force it to happen. It has to be natural. And I think it's a salient point because this team, a lot of these guys have played together. Like KCP hasn't played with this group yet, and he's going to have to figure that out. But he's also pretty easy plug and play with Murray and Porter and Gordon and Jokic. Those guys, they have to be on the court together in order to really evaluate this, in order to really make it work. And that just comes with time. Yoke said that too. He said that this is something that it's not just going to happen. Like 
or he said it will just happen at some point, but it may not happen quickly. And I think that's very, that's a good way to put it. Even though I think everybody would love for that to happen as soon as possible, hopefully it happens sooner than it did in 2021 because that took probably about 30 games or so until it really became clear how MPJ had to play, how the Nuggets had to play. But until then, we're just going to have to see. Hopefully this isn't just the constant push and pull, but I am very curious. Joker also, I think, made a good move today. He mentioned AG and KCP as the two guys who will bring the energy, be most important to that chemistry. And I think that's a good thing that he's doing. You have to prop up everybody. There's been a lot of discussion about Jokic as the MVP, a lot of discussion about Murray and Porter coming back. It's going to be very simple to, I think, pigeonhole KCP and AG as two guys that, hey, they're the role players. They're going to have to do everything defensively. If they don't do their job defensively, then it's all their fault. No, it doesn't work like that. Like Everybody has to contribute. Everybody has to pitch in. And AG and KCP, they have two very hard jobs in and of themselves. Like They're going to have a very important role. It's why they were such big additions to this Nuggets group. If you don't have them, then you don't have a title. Or you're not going to have title chances is what I mean. So it's going to be everybody who contributes. And then I tried to throw him a softball, basically said, how do you feel to, to hear Murray and Porter being announced again or introduced again with the starting lineups? He was basically like, yeah, it was good in just a very neutral tone that only Jokic can really do. Uh, he didn't take the bait on that one. I was trying to tee him up with a softball, but is what it is. What a guy. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this burgeoning, I think. This is more of a me thing maybe than what it is actually, but MPJ and Michael Malone definitely have different philosophies in terms of shot quality, and I wanted to be able to talk about that in detail here. So we are going to be right back. But first, everybody, as you know, this podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Football is back. Nobody's more excited than your friends at Superbook. They are bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Just visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now. Start getting on all of the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Alright, we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. If you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the program. If you listen to this bad boy, if you like what I do, make sure to give it a five-star review. That would be really, really helpful. All right. I wanted to go back and click on, or, oh no, I had the, the quote last night from Michael Porter about kind of everything that he had going on with his game and how he sort of approaches things. 
I thought it was a very important quote. He said, and this is, there's other pieces of this to be clear, and parts of it I used in my story for the recap of that game. But the one that really made the rounds was, I remember my rookie year, they would be so upset with some shots I would take. Eventually, they learned at the end of the day that that's my game. That's how I've always played. Now, I'm not really sure who they is, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the players. I assumed it was the coaches, but I have to imagine that that definitely isn't fully true. There's definitely at least part of it with folks that you'd be at least a little bit more concerned with Michael Malone. And the Nuggets as a whole, they're built around this team ball sharing, or like you share the ball, this system where everybody moves, everybody cuts, everybody gets pretty equal opportunity. Stopping the ball with Michael Porter kind of in the mid post or the uh, an isolation kind of on the block and things like that doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense within the scope of what the Nuggets are trying to do from an equal opportunity style. So I wanted to ask Michael Malone about this because I think it's a story. And Malone, like I asked him about, hey, so the shot quality that you guys got last night, there were definitely some moments where it could have been better. You have such a talented team. Uh, does the calculus kind of change there? And then how do you kind of balance that as a coach between maybe getting the best shot possible versus letting your your stars take the shots that they want to take? And I'm just going to read parts of this because this full quote is very, very interesting. It says, quote, yeah, our goal every time is to generate an uncontested look. What we've been stressing a lot in terms of our shots back during August and September when we played, a lot of times we told our guys mid-range shots are worth one point, even if it goes in, threes are three, corner threes are worth four, anything around the rim is worth three. We're trying to put that in their mind that we want mid-range discipline. We don't want to take contested mid-range shots, especially early in the clock. Now, Michael Mullen went on to say, look, the caveat is that obviously you have a player like Nikola Jokic, who's a great mid-range shooter. They don't, they don't want to take that away from them. And I get that. I totally do. But there are also other players that really excel there as well. Like Monte Morris, for example, last year. Excellent mid-range shooter. Has always been a really good pull-up mid-range shooter. I know that it may not be the most efficient form of offense, but sometimes you take what you can get. And he did mention that, look, late in the shot clock, it definitely like kind of all bets are off on you just try to get up a shot that's as good as you possibly can. But he was talking about how, look, you do not want contested mid-range shots early in the clock. And there were a couple of times with Porter on Monday night that that definitely was the case. And so he went on, this is more quote, but to your point, just because a shot goes in doesn't mean it's a good shot. I think Michael Porter made a contested mid-range two last night. Let's see, he names Michael Porter here. Quote, the spacing was awful, the execution was awful, and the shot went in. Poor possession, poor shot, we can get better than that. So this is a big deal to me. This is a big deal because you have, on one hand, Michael Porter saying one thing, where he's playing his game, they understand my game, they they are okay with it, they appreciate that, they know that that's who I am. 
And then you've got Michael Malone basically directly refuting that, that this is not the way that they want to do things. And he pointed out one of Michael Porter's shots. Now, I know that this conversation has definitely happened more behind closed doors than anything that's out that's been out public. But I do think that this is definitely something to watch. I'm also willing to admit that because I asked both of these questions, like I asked this of Porter, I asked this of Malone, that it may or may not be an actual story. It might just be something that's in my head. Like it might be something that I'm overthinking. But I see Michael Malone react. I see how he looks when Michael Porter gets into isolation mode, when there's the rest of the offense that you're trying to run. Malone hates it. Malone hates that. And so I personally think that this is kind of one of the bigger questions of Denver's season. How does Denver work in MPJ? How do they work him in and treat him like a third star, like he has always wanted to be here? Because it's easy to build around two stars, where you get the Murray-Jokic pick and roll. Some, like Those guys will both have control, basically autonomy to take whatever shots that they want to. I don't know if Porter has that autonomy. Because Malone, he did name Nikola Jokic as a great shooter. He didn't even name Jamal Murray as a as a great mid-range shooter. And Jamal's a really strong mid-range guy that should take mid-range shots because they help space the floor. Porter, I think, same thing. His guy has to stay glued to him. And all eyes are on him when he's shooting the basketball. I feel like coming back, the rhetoric around MPJ has been about as a role player, has been about as finding the corner, getting to your spots, spacing the floor, staying disciplined. It hasn't been about working in Porter into offensive sets, making sure that he gets the shots that he needs, developing his offensive game. There hasn't been a lot of talk about developing him as a playmaker. And I think that that's something that he probably needs to do if he wants to be a star. There hasn't been any discussion about that. So is he really viewed in that light? I don't really know. If I had to guess, I'd say no. I'd say that the Nuggets view him as kind of a glorified three-point spacer where he can take some of those shots and they're going to live with it because he's got a massive contract, but they don't necessarily feel that that should be the case. That kind of scares me. That kind of scares me for sure. Because I, I see those things as juxtaposed, and I would be worried about something kind of bubbling between beneath the surface that kind of surfaces when things get pretty bad. MPJ sees him as, himself as a star. There's no doubt about that. He took star-level shots on Monday night. And if Malone is going to be annoyed throughout the season about his offense, I'm going to be concerned because, like, look... He made the shots, and I think that Malone is going to have to understand that, hey, if you make the shots, you can bemoan it all you want, but he still made it. And that's probably how it's going to look for a lot of these cases. Porter's one of the greatest tough shot makers, contested shot makers in the league today. It's unbelievable some of the shots that he can hit, even if there's a hand in his face, even if there's a guy right in his airspace. He can do those things. And having him change who he is and kind of repress what he's doing, I think is the wrong thing to 
do. It's the wrong kind of message to send. You want to see how high he can grow. You don't necessarily want to pigeonhole him into something that, look, I'd understand if you were talking about Kevin Herter. You're talking about Michael Porter. So they're going to have to meet in the middle somewhere. Michael Porter is going to have to find ways to operate within the flow of the offense. He's going to have to get to his spots. He's going to have to be willing to get all the way to the corner. Definitely had a lot of cases last night where just kind of hovering, just kind of doing that thing. Because it's all well and good to laugh at some of the absurdity of it. Like MPJ has no idea where he needs to be on the court, but he still makes buckets. That's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough sell to Malone to trust somebody like that in a playoff series. And Denver's answers cannot just be as simple as, yes, we are going to play Bruce Brown ahead of Michael Porter all the time. That can't happen. That is not what should happen. The Nuggets have to find ways to keep Michael Porter on the court in clutch time because they need that spacing. They need that shooting. They need that extra burst because sometimes Murray isn't going to have it. Sometimes Yoke isn't going to have it. They're going to need times where when they kick it out to some of these guys, it can't just be Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon in the corners. It's got to be some other guys too. So I think that they have to find some common ground here if Denver's going to win a title. If they never find common ground, either like it's going to be him or me. That's going to probably be what happens. If they never find common ground and it damages Denver's relationship and and it damages their ability to win a title this year, then it's either going to be Malone gone or it's going to be MPJ gone. That's my feeling on it right now. I could be completely wrong. That's speculation. That is just me reading the room. But I don't think the Nuggets are entirely opposed to the idea. So take it for what you will. The hope is that MPJ can kind of strike a balance between taking star shots and taking role player shots because that's the best thing about him is he can do both. He can be really good at both. Either way, something to monitor as the season goes along and as we kind of move into games that matter. When we come back, we're going to go over the GM survey that was released by NBA.com. We'll be right back. everybody for tuning in. Let's wrap this bad boy up by talking about the GM survey, something that comes out every single year. John Schumann, as I mentioned at the beginning of the of NBA.com, he surveys GMs. He surveys and then of those that spoke, of those that gave their answers. Sometimes it's not the GM. Sometimes it might be the assistant GM or somebody under them, but every team is represented for sure. And it's a good honest survey, I think, of where the NBA is at and and how certain players and teams and uh, different miscellaneous things are viewed around the league. So not everything is super pertinent to the Nuggets, but I do want to just go over some of the categories that I think are pertinent. So first one, which team wins the finals? 
Bucks come in at 43%, Warriors 25, Clippers 21, Celtics 11. Those were the only four teams that had any votes to win the finals. So no Denver, no nothing in that. I do think that like if you had to poll people about who would win the West, might be getting some nuggets in there, but definitely does feel like the Warriors and the Clippers are the favorites to come out of the West right now. Suns and Nuggets, kind of distant third and fourth. And that was, I think, reiterated in the ranking of the Western Conference teams. You have the Nuggets at four behind the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Suns. Vote breakdown of that doesn't matter as much, but the Clippers and Warriors definitely were separated from where the Suns and Nuggets are. And then there was a small gap between Denver and five Memphis. Tied at six were both Dallas and Minnesota. Dropped down to eight, and you had the Lakers. And then in ninth, the Pelicans. That's going to be one the GMs are going to want. wish they had back. The Pelicans are going to be way better than the Lakers this year. There's zero doubt in my mind. All right, next, who will win the MVP? No Nicole Jokic votes, which isn't really surprising, but he has never been voted for who will win the MVP in any of these surveys. So it's not necessarily a surprise that he's not getting the love this time around. Luka and Giannis were the heavy favorites, followed by some votes for Embiid and then one vote for Curry. Only four players were numb or were voted upon. Or well, everybody was voted upon, but only four players actually got votes. Next one, start a franchise with any player. This was close to a 50-50 split between Giannis and Luka. Giannis had 55%, Luka had 45 No votes for Nikola, despite the fact that he's kind of in their range in terms of players you would want to build around for sure. Giannis, I think everybody mostly has to say because he's the universally accepted best player and he's in his prime. Luca, universally, I think, accepted young top five player who everybody believes will run the league. Nikola, kind of surprised that he didn't get any votes at all. I feel like if Denver wins a title this year, that might change. Now, which player forces the most adjustments? Joker tied for second with a bunch of other guys. Curry, though, was far and away the highest at, I believe, 55%. Best center in the NBA? This is a good one. Best center? Jokic at 79%. Embiid at 17%. And then Giannis gets a courtesy 3%. He got one vote for being the best center from a GM that thought, yeah, I'm being creative because Giannis could play the five. It's not how it works. Jokic at 79% to Embiid at 17. That is four times the number of votes. Actually, five times the number, well, close to five times. Jokic has clearly separated himself, at least this year, and it's nice to see. I think GMs are definitely more honest than a lot of the MVP voters, and it's pretty funny to see the discrepancy like this, and I think a lot of, uh, a lot of Sixers fans were not super pleased about this one. Cantavius Caldwell Pope got a vote for the most underrated player acquisition, though he did not get more than one. The rookie that was the biggest steal of the draft, Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, each got a vote, though no rookie had more than four total votes. Definitely feels pretty split. That's always one that's pretty split among the audience. 
Best international player in the NBA, you have Giannis at 57%, Luka at 28%, and Jokic at 16%. So it is funny that Giannis, again, clearly the, the best in the voting here, but Luka has seemingly taken over second place in front of Yoke. That's kind of surprising to me. That seems that seems wrong. But it is what it is, so I'm not gonna not gonna bemoan that. Uh I mean Luca's fantastic. You're you're not gonna get me to argue it a whole bunch, but I just don't think he's proven anything that Jokic hasn't already. There were a bunch of questions on defense. No nugget was mentioned in that, which is pretty funny, but also probably true. This team had one vote for being the team that's the most fun to watch. I think the Warriors were the team that was most fun to watch, as voted by the GMs. They were tied for second in best home court advantage with Boston, behind first place Toronto. I honestly think that a lot of that had to do with the pandemic lately, and just not being able to send your entire complement of players sometimes across the border, because if they got COVID while they were there, they couldn't travel back. So now you've got travel restrictions. There's definitely going to be like fewer travel restrictions this year than there were in past years, but it was definitely a built-in home court advantage for Toronto, that's for sure. Now, here's some fun ones. Most efficient offense this season, Golden State comes in at 38%, which is kind of a surprise because like that doesn't make any sense at all based off of where they finished last year. They were at like 15th. And they had all the guys that they do have, so kind of odd to think of them as the most efficient offense. I don't think of them that way. I think of them as a more defensive team now. The Bucks at 17%. I know I, I kind of feel the same way, honestly. Like, if they're going to have Brooke Lopez and they're going to have Giannis, I feel like they're going to be more of a defensive team, but is what it is. Golden State got 38% of the vote. Bucks got 17%. And the Nuggets got 14%, so they were right behind at third. I honestly think that Denver will challenge for first, and maybe first all time. So this might look a little bit funny at the end of the season. Best passer in the NBA? This is fun. Jokic, 72%. 72! Over Luka at 10%, CP3 at 10%. A couple of other guys got votes like LeBron, and I think Steph Curry got a vote for some reason. But Jokic at 72, that is pretty definitive in terms of who people think the best passer actually is. Not necessarily reflected in total assist numbers given that he plays the center position. It's definitely less conducive to getting assists than I think some other positions where you're pounding the ball the entire time. But it is very interesting that Jokic is far and away in that category. Also just as interesting, best leader, no votes for Nikola Jokic. None. And that's one of the reasons why leadership is one of his biggest qualities that I think people have to understand that that's where he has to grow the most. No votes for Nikola Jokic. Now, best basketball IQ, Jokic came in at second behind LeBron and in front of CP3. So that's that's where he is. He's a, he's a high-quality passer. He's a high-quality basketball IQ guy. Going to lead an efficient offense. And he also got one vote for the player you want to take the shot with the game on the line. I think that's interesting because he hasn't 
I think, ever gotten shots or ever gotten credit for that before. But he takes a lot of shots to win, and he makes a lot of shots too. So, Steph got 55% of that vote. KD got 17. Dame, 14. Luka and Joker each got a vote. So, definitely feel like that could change at some point, especially if Jokic has some big moments in the playoffs. But it is interesting that that always default. It, it definitely, I think, defaults to older players that you kind of remember what they've done previously. But either way, interesting list, interesting uh different categories that I think you can really point to in terms of where people see the Nuggets, where people see the rest of the NBA. Denver, not necessarily seen as a contender, or at least the best contender in the West. I think that two teams have really stood out. It's the Clippers and the Warriors. And I'm not surprised, but I also just sort of need to see it with the Clippers. I've definitely iterated that before on this podcast, and that's not necessarily a hot take, but Everybody loves the Clippers. Everybody believes in them. Everybody thinks that they have the stuff. But if they ran into the Nuggets, would they be able to deal with Denver's best punch? I don't think they can. I don't think they have the juice. I don't think they have the offensive firepower to match up with what Denver is going to do to them. So that's pretty interesting. And kind of the same way where the Warriors don't, like, they have the offensive punch that the Nuggets just can't really match up with against them. So maybe that changes this year. Maybe that's one of the reasons, like, given the Warriors and Suns beatdowns that the Nuggets sustained over these last couple playoffs, it's understandable that in everybody's mind's eye, they're not necessarily great. But the last image of the Clippers is them losing in the play-in. So it's not like they have this massive indicator that they are going to do elite things. It's all theoretical at this point. So we're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. But for now, that'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by Superbook Sports. I don't know if I'll podcast tomorrow. I'm going to podcast five total times this week. Try to get into the habit of podcasting five times a week. This will be the third one that goes up for this week. Two more will pop up, including one as a recap pod for the Chicago game so either i'll podcast after tomorrow's practice or after thursdays should be fun thank you so much everybody for tuning in talk to you guys very soon